to the book of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up and in his arms blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. He says, for my eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared before all people. Praise the Lord. And it says, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph his mother marveled at the things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said, Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign which will be spoken against. He says, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And verse 36, it says, Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. This woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day and coming in that instant she gave thanks to the lord and spoke of him to those who looked for his redemption in jerusalem hallelujah who looked for his redemption in jerusalem may the lord bless the reading of his word in jesus mighty and matchless name amen amen praise the lord hallelujah okay so this morning really um i will just be um discussing what i titled the sermon of, of, of my title this this morning is what get ready hallelujah get ready get ready and let's just pray quickly gracious father in heaven i ask that even as i speak your word that lord you would minister your light and your salvation to your people and that lord let every hearer of your word be edified and the name of jesus be glorified blessed be your holy name O god in heaven in jesus mighty and matchless name we have prayed amen amen and so, you know, one of the marvelous things that I, I came to understand is that, you know, I don't know if you guys noticed it, but for, I certainly did, that, you know, that many at times regarding this Christmas season, um, you know, yesterday I, I got so many messages of friends and family saying, oh, you know, Merry Christmas, wonderful time, you know, and things like that. And, you know, a particular song says that, you know, it is the most wonderful time of the year and the reason why is that you know many at times people we, we plan and prepare for a time like this praise the lord you know there's so much preparation that goes into us um getting ready for the season hallelujah and so but again 
you notice that even the stores, you know, as early as September, you know, I, I remember going into Tesco and I was seeing so many things already being put on display um, in preparation for Christmas, Christmas trees, Christmas decorations. They started selling Christmas jumpers. And again, in my opinion, I felt it was um, more or less like the most commercial holiday anyone can imagine, because again, People were planning for their celebration as, as much as my colleagues even were all saying, oh, have you gotten your Christmas things ready? They were shopping and all that stuff. And as fantastic as that may be, but the question would always be, there is a big question here. Uh, there's a big question here. And the question is, why? Why, why are we, why are we preparing for this? Why all this hoo-ha about this season? Why? Praise the Lord. Why? And the reason why is that, you know, you begin to ask yourself, why would anyone go all out to ensure that their family members have got gifts? As a matter of fact, why would people even want to begin to plan and prepare for people that they don't even know? Because I know some people would say, oh, on Christmas Day, I want to go and sell food as a way of, you know, showing my concern or my contribution to the community or the society at large. But some will say that, oh, the reason why I do this is because it's a season of love. Praise God. It's that season where, you know, if I wanted to communicate that I loved somebody, one of the best ways, aside from Valentine, technically speaking, is that in Christmas time, I should be able to show how much I love my family, I love my friends, I love my colleagues, and, and that can be conveyed through the exchange of gifts and all that. Praise the Lord. But again, you know, what then is love? What is truly love? And the dictionary would tell us that, you know, love is an intense feeling of deep affection, or perhaps it says, you know, it's a, of great interest and pleasure in something. That the moment I have interest or pleasure in something, that means I love that thing. Or the moment I have a deep affection for somebody, that means I love the person. But allow me to say that there is a danger in this definition, praise God. And I say this because these definitions are merely based on the flesh. They are based on sensual elements. And when I mean sensual now, it's talking about it appeals to your five senses. Praise God. In other words, your sense of sight, your sense of hearing, your sense of taste, your touch and sense of feeling. And so all these are sensual. And if it's based on sensuality, then you understand that feelings are fleeting. They would come and they would go. They are temporary. And as a result, they are subject to change. Praise the Lord. And so you understand that this is the reason why many relationships would fall apart at the instance of any slightest discomfort or an unpleasant condition. Praise God. And this is the the reality of things because i mean someone said that we live in the microwave generation or the instant generation where if nothing is working i'm not willing to fix it rather i throw it away and i get a new one the set of uh, the, the reality of it is in this day and time we see the same thing reflecting in our daily lives i remember speaking to a colleague and she said you know what that you know it is possible to fall in and out of love. And I said, you know, if only you truly understood what this love is all about. So then someone said that what? That sensual love deceives one as to the nature of heavenly love. In other words, the moment you believe you love somebody, then it begins to capture, oh, perhaps this is what the godly kind of love is. But he said that it could not be done so alone, but since it unconsciously has the element of heavenly love within it, 
People believe that what this could be what the love is all about. You know, I remember when I was in school in economics, we were taught about the law of diminishing returns. And this law simply implies that, you know, as a result of me consuming a particular product, that their additional consumption will eventually lead that it will get to a tipping point. And when it gets to that tipping point, it begins to decline. And so therefore, that the moment I begin to spend my time with somebody, over time, my love for that person will begin to diminish. Now, if that was the case, now, could you imagine that God being the ageless God, the I am that I am, the, uh, we call him the rock of ages, praise the Lord. And so uh, could you imagine that love, that God has loved humanity so much so that at some point in time, it has reached its peak and his love for us began to, uh, to decline. If this was ever going to be the case, I want to come I want to put it to you that, you know, that humanity would have been long gone ex extinct and God would be in the business of always recreating humanity over and over again, just to remain in love with humanity. Praise God. But however, that's not what love is. What then is love? I dare say that what love is a person. Praise the Lord. Love is a person. Love is Jesus. Actually, he is the express representation of God's interest in you and I. Praise God. In other words, as a way of God trying to show that he loves me, Jeffrey, and he loves you that is watching me this morning from your home, as a proof that God loves you and me, he sent Jesus. Praise God. And so number one, number, number one thing I wanted to make us understand here is that as we are celebrating this season of Christmas, Christmas must remind you that what God loves me, because it is at this point that we begin to understand that what Christ came to the earth in form of man. But why did he come? He came to redeem us, to reconcile us, to restore that relationship that originally existed between God and his creation in Eden. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And you see that David had a clue of what love was all about. Look at what David said in Psalm 8 verse 2. He says, when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars are set in its place. How beautiful it is. He says that what are men mortals that you should think about them? What is man that you are mindful of him? That human beings, that you should care for them the way you do. You can even transpose and say that you, know, that you should love them. He says, yet... You made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. David must have been reflecting that, wow, you know, I can't imagine this, that, you know, a deity, an immortal God would take an interest in a mere mortal that I come today and tomorrow I'm no more. And you will take interest in me. It is only because of love. Praise God. It can only be because of love, because this God on his own existed. He didn't need me to exist. He didn't need you to exist. He didn't need for us to validate to him that he's God to exist. He was God all by himself. But yet, in his benevolent and amicable nature, he chose to take an interest, a peculiar interest at that in humanity. Everything you see that exists here on earth, both the sun, the moon, the stars, the air, everything existed because of you. Praise God. Hallelujah. I say it again. You know, when you think of this earth, you know, I don't like flies. For instance, you know, I feel that they are a nuisance. But you realize that there is a need why flies must exist on this earth. 
Praise God. And all these things we see, everything that we see on the earth, the air, the sky, everything existed because of you. Because God loves you. God loves me. When you think about it, you know, it's just like me now, you know, for example, I love my wife. And my intention is that, you know, I must do everything in my capacity to make sure that her and my, and my children are comfortable. And so as much as I'm able to, I put structures in place to ensure their comfort. Now, when you look at it on a larger scale, God loves you so much so that he had to put all these structures in place. The earth is in its place. The sky is in its place. The water knows their boundaries. Everything God did, he did because he loves you and I. And to cap up that love, he sent his son Jesus to come to die on the cross of Calvary for you and I. Praise God. I'm going somewhere. So when we look at our anchor text again, we begin to see something that was playing all throughout that scripture. Praise God. First and foremost, we see a promise. We see a promise. The Bible tells us that Simeon was what? That in the verse 25, it says, they both knew, as I said it at that when you look at the promises in that passage, it says that Simeon and Anna understood, they knew and understood the promise of God of sending a, a Messiah who would comfort and strengthen the Israelites. Because why? It says that what this was the consolation of Israel. When you read Isaiah 40, you know, the book of Isaiah was a, a prophetic book. It conveyed God's mind of what he would do for his people at a later date. And so so when you see Isaiah 40 from verse 1 to 2, he says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. He says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sins have been paid for. Who paid for these sins? Jesus. And so they had this idea that at some point in time, God was going to fulfill this promise. And so when Christ was born and Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple, you could imagine their delight that, oh, Oh God, you indeed, I'm, I'm privileged to see this promise come to pass. And this was why, you know, Simeon was going to say that, you know, that Lord, thank you that you have caused my eyes to see the fulfillment of this. Because the Bible said that what? By the Holy Spirit, he was told that you would not see death until you, these promises have been fulfilled. Praise God. But in that promise, there was a place of preparation for the promise. Praise God. If you ever thought, if you ever thought that Jesus came on his own, my brother, my sister, it's a wrong idea. Jesus did not just come. Praise God. Jesus did not just come. And his basis for coming at the time he did was because there was somebody or there were a group of people who understood this promise. And as a result of this promise, began to prepare. Praise God. They understood this promise. They had seen in the book that, you know what, unto us a child will be born. Unto us a son will be given and his name shall be called Emmanuel. It was a prophecy. It was a promise. But what? Prophecies don't fulfill itself on its own. There is a place of preparation. And we see that in Luke 2 verse 37. Why? Because in anticipation of this consolation, which is Jesus, Anna, we are told that what she served God in the temple by what fasting and prayer. And I, and I want to believe that what 
it was not just her. There were other people who were doing the same thing, laboring in the place of prayer, saying, Lord, send the, the Messiah. Send the Messiah. Now, they may not have understood the role of the Messiah, but as a result of the hardship, because let me put it in context, the children of Israel had suffered. They had suffered because when you look through the Bible, uh, biblical timelines, they first of all were in slavery in Egypt. They came out of slavery. And as a result of that, they occupied Canaan. And as a result of that disobedience in Canaan, the Bible said that what? They went into captivity in Babylon. Praise God. And as a result of that, their captivity in Babylon, after it was about 73 years or thereabout, Daniel prophesied again that what? Their Jerusalem is going to be restored. Praise the Lord. That Jerusalem is going to be restored. And so as a result of that, they were thinking in their mind that when Israel will be consoled, the Messiah would come, a new king would come, they would have their own empire, and they will be free from every influence of the Romans. Because at that time, when Anna and Simeon were praying and praying for the Messiah, they were under the Roman Empire, and they were still subjected to hard labor. Praise the Lord. Because if you remember, they were taking taxes that even Jesus and Peter, they were asked to pay their taxes. And Jesus said, you know, whose face is on this coin? And it says Caesar. And it says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And so they were under Roman hardship. Praise the Lord. And so they were thinking that, oh, when this Messiah would come, all these things would end. But the reality of it is what they only had a little knowledge of what God was designed to do in their lives. Praise the Lord. And so they were praying for the fulfillment of this promise according to scripture. Praise God. And so as this promise was being, as they were preparing for this, the proof happened. And that proof was that what? Jesus was born. Praise God. Jesus was born. And that confirmed to us that what God can keep his promises. And so another significance of the Christmas season is to understand that what God can be trusted. If God has made a promise to you, perhaps you are yet to see it come to pass. God has the perfect timing. He knows at the right time when the manifestation would come to pass. But that reality must be that what you must keep preparing. And so... What I'm about to tell us today is that what? The cycle has started again. When Jesus was born, the cycle, and what I mean by the cycle here, allow me to say for the sake of this sermon that God in some way deals with us in cycles. And that cycle is that what? There must be a promise. You prepare for the promise and then the promise is being fulfilled or there is a proof that the promise has been fulfilled. Praise God. And so when Jesus was born, When Jesus was born, that cycle started again. Praise the Lord. That cycle started again. And what was the cycle? Remember, Simeon said that this child of yours will be responsible for the rising and the falling of many. Praise the Lord. Okay? And so for that, he began to prophesy about his death. Praise God. And that cycle is what we're experiencing today. And I will explain. And so the question I want to or rather the charge this morning is that what my brothers and my sisters, you have to get ready. You know, just like the traffic system for, for many of us who drive, there are three stages here. At first, there will be a, a red light. The red light saying that what? You have to stop. 
Then the amber light would come in. The amber light is saying that what, get ready to take off. Get ready that what, this traffic is about to start moving. And then there is a green light. That green light simply means it is time to move. Praise God. And allow me to say that God's promise is taking the flow of this traffic system. That's what we are now at the amber stage. That amber stage is that what you and I must get ready. Praise God. You must get ready. Get ready for what? We see here that God made a promise. When you read Matthew 24, God made a promise from verse 42 and 44. He says, watch therefore, for you do not know when the hour of the Lord your God is coming. Praise God. Get ready because Jesus is coming again. That cycle is what we are experiencing again. There is a cycle, and that cycle is what Jesus made the promise. He says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. And he says, therefore, you also be what? Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Praise the Lord. We don't know when Christ is coming, but my brothers and my sisters, we are the amber stage. The green light is about to turn any moment from now. Praise the Lord. So as we are celebrating Christmas, my charge again is that what that cycle has started. You know, the birth of Christ has happened. His death on the cross has happened. His rising and ascending to the Father has taken place. And so we are at the amber stage and the green light is about to come on. Praise the Lord. How do I know this? You see that what preparation is key. Look at what Christ was saying in Matthew 24. The disciples asked him, when you read here, it says, the disciples asked him and said, what signs are we going to know to, to tell us that the man of that, um, um, that your coming again is going to be near? And so we see here that in Matthew 25, just like the Bible of the Ten Virgins as, as told us here, Jesus said, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lambs and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took lamb, took their lambs, but did not take any oil with them. Praise the Lord. They did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Praise the Lord. My way of telling you to prepare is that what? You must have oil in your lamp. Praise the Lord. You must what? Have oil in your lamp. If you are going to be classed as one of the wise virgins, the distinction between the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins was simply because of the oil. They were prepared. When they were going to meet the bridegroom, they prepared as a re by virtue of what? Taking an extra oil for their lamb. You look at it. Isn't it amazing that they were both virgins? If we're going to class virginity now as a proof of salvation, in other words, this group of people, they were together in the same church. Praise God. They were singing hymns uh, together. They were attending prayer meetings uh, together. But what? The diff yes, so now what? They were both virgins. They had confessed Christ as their Lord and Savior. But what distinguished the foolish ones from the wise ones? They had the oil. 
my brothers and my sisters, what does that oil mean? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is an evidence or is a symbol of that oil. Praise God. Because remember, when he said that he anointed my head with oil, when you understand how the sheep anoints the shepherd, the significance of the anointing was to differentiate other sheep from the sheep of the shepherd. Praise God. In other words, one of the things that the anointing did was a proof of ownership. When you read Ephesians chapter 3, the Bible said that the moment we were saved, God, as a proof of showing that we are his children, gave us the deposit of his spirit. Praise God. And so, this case is that you must be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Some people had the oil, and as a result, because remember, they all had oil, they all received the Spirit, but the wise virgins took extra. In other words, they understood that if I'm going to finish, if I'm going to meet the bridegroom, I must never let my lamp be run out of oil. Praise God. In other words, if I'm going to endure to the very end, I must never lose fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That is how we have oil for our lamps. If I'm going to ensure that I see the bridegroom, I must maintain a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And the last aspect of this cycle is that what? The last aspect of the cycle is that what? There is a proof. And how do we know that the green light is about to come on? Jesus was speaking in Matthew 24, Matthew 24, verse 7. Let's look at it as stages. In other words, level one, level, or, or rather, you know, yes, the level one, you go higher to level two, level three, level four. So you look at here, it says, for nations will rise against nations and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. Are we seeing this in our world today? The answer is what? Yes. It says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Okay. Then, so level two, because if, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, all those are, it says, then, in other words, after these things, it says, then they will deliver you up to tribulations and will kill you and you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. The question is, has this been happening? Absolutely, yes. We see how Christians have been persecuted from age long, even from the days of Hitler, we see how Christians, the people of God, are being persecuted. When you read about the person of Watchman Nee, you know, these are men who in China believed in the Lord. And as a result of that, you know what? They died for their faith. When you read about Dietrich Bischoff, these are people who were, were, were missionaries in Asia and they died because of their faith. So these are the things that we are seeing already. But look at what again it says, and then. Level three, it says there will be many, there, I said, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Are we seeing this today? Absolutely, yes. It says what? Then many false prophets would rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many would grow cold. Are we seeing this today? Absolutely, yes. But it says that what, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. 
Then you see the last level. The last level says what? And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. It says, and then the green light will happen. Praise God. So you see that we are at the last stage. We are at the cusp of him coming again. Praise the Lord. And so in all the excitement of the season, in all the festivities, I want us to keep this as the center of our focus, just like the bride, the bridegroom and the five wise virgins who had oil for their lamp. They were eagerly anticipating for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were eagerly anticipating for his coming. And that is what I'm asking you and I today to do. That what we must get ready. It is not to make us afraid because the reality of it is if you are not sure of where you are going, that's when you are afraid. Praise God. You know, it's just like someone who grew up in, in, in a third world country like Africa at the moment. But I, I want to believe that, you know, things will eventually get better. Even as this is coming, even as Christ's second coming is approaching, is that things will begin to get better because all these things must happen for his arrival. And so it's just like a, someone who grew up in a, in a family of lack and want. And all of a sudden, you bring him to a place of abundance where there is plenty. I guarantee you, they would never want to go back. Praise the Lord. And so when you understand what the second coming of Jesus has to offer for you and me, then there is no need to fear. Because even in his coming, the church will be glorified. Praise the Lord. That's why we are beginning to see many churches rising all across the nations in every nook and cranny because everybody must hear the gospel. And what is that gospel? The gospel of the kingdom. What the kingdom of God has to offer. That in the kingdom of God, there is rising for everyone that is in that kingdom. In the kingdom of God, there is victory for everyone who identifies his or herself as a citizen of that kingdom. That in the kingdom of God, we triumph over the works of the enemy. That is why Paul will say, blessed be God, who causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus and causes the knowledge of his will to be made manifest through us in every place. That is what God is doing in this age. And so as much as the green light is about to take place, part of the things that are happening that what you and I will begin to rise for his glory. You and I will begin to you know, experience boundless influence, but you must understand the purpose for that influence is that what? You must be a witness. You must be a witness. You must be a witness because only then are we able to walk into the reality of what Christ has to offer for us. So in conclusion, Billy Graham says, why we await for the coming of Christ with patience, we are to watch with anticipation. Just like Elijah was looking out for the rain, he told the servant to go and watch again. He says, oh, I see a, a hand, a cloud like a hand. He says, go and watch again. We must watch with what anticipation. In that, we are to walk with zeal. We must be determined that I must be in this end time army. I must do everything I can to ensure that Jesus is heard. Jesus is known. 
through your charity, through your word, through your actions, through your influence over people, through discipleship. Perhaps you're a mother and you have children. Your responsibility as it relates to the zeal of the Lord is to raise children that would what? Be ambassadors, battle axes for the Lord. For you as a husband, as a father, as a leader, is to what? Begin to galvanize, to create a culture that honors God in every single thing that you do, such that what? You are bearing witness of this kingdom, of this king who is coming again to take his people. And it says we are to prepare with what? Urgency. The reality of it is that what, you know, the book of James says that when you are making plans with somebody, say by God's grace. And the reason why I say that is because tomorrow, you know, whenever on Fridays for my Christian colleagues, when I say, oh, have a nice weekend. And I, and I jokingly say, and if not, I'll see you in heaven. Praise God. Because the reality of it is while we are at the weekend, Christ can show up. Praise the Lord. We must understand this. That's what? The light is about to be green. Praise the Lord. And it says that what? The scripture says that what? Christ is coming when you are least expecting him. When you are least, I think this must, must put some sense of reverence. You don't know. Don't live your life as if you know when he's coming. Praise God. Don't live your life as if God is telling you personally, oh, I'm coming on Tuesday. Because nobody knows. It says, coming as a thief. Coming as a thief. And it said, be prepared. Get ready and prepare to meet your God. And so the question is, are you really ready? Are you ready? We are celebrating the birth of Jesus. But guess what? what just like I said, as it relates to cycles, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And he would only come to take those who what? Who have planned, who have prepared to meet the Savior. Praise the Lord. He would only come to meet those who have prepared to meet him. And I pray that when he comes at his appearing, you and I will not miss out on eternity in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. That you and I will not miss out on what God has to offer for us. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so this morning, if you are yet to give your life to Christ, that perhaps, perhaps you are yet to make Jesus your Lord and your Savior, or you want to rededicate your life to him, this is that perfect time. This is that perfect time. Just like how the scripture said that they did not even know when Jesus was born. Only very few were aware because they were expecting him coming as a king to have the silver spoon in his mouth and all that. They did not know that he was born in a manger. The reality of it is what Jesus is coming again. And so if you are yet to give your life to Christ, why don't you just say this prayer with me and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life today. I acknowledge that you are my Lord and my personal savior. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me with your blood. Make me new again and cause me to walk in the reality of the new creation, even as I expect your second coming in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Father, I pray for everyone who has heard me this afternoon, who has heard your word, that Lord, oh God in heaven, for many of us that are here, that Lord, when the trumpet shall sound, none of us will be missing in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Blessed be your holy name, O oh God. 
in Jesus' mighty and matchless name.